Hi, my name is Pete Redden, and welcome to The Way I Taught It, Next Level Aviation Knowledge in Microbursts. This episode is brought to you by Vapor Global Aviation, creating tomorrow's pilots today. Look them up on Facebook and LinkedIn, Vapor Global Aviation. So here we are, Thanksgiving 2020, on the verge of closing out a year full of historic challenges and changes. Therefore, what better topic to select than multi-engine departure planning, or as the ACS calls it, departure considerations, specifically during an emergency. As you already know or have heard, multi-engine departures can present you with, well, challenges and changes to flight that may be very historic for someone who is ill-prepared to handle it. So let's get after it, shall we? There is a vast array of scenarios that we must consider when discussing multi-engine departure planning. From VFR to IFR operations, with or without circling minimums, terrain, stopping versus going once airborne, and departure alternates. I bet you never heard that term before. We are not talking about IFR departure procedures here as we did in episode five. We are discussing what happens when you lose an engine or subsystem on takeoff or departure and the planning associated with generating contingency options for recovery of the aircraft to the runway. So let's set the playing field with some common scenarios we are all familiar with. First up, the abort. We are all familiar with this. If anything happens prior to rotation, throttles idle, brakes apply, assess the situation and either egress or taxi clear. The scenario is the easiest and it applies to both VFR and IFR conditions. For your next scenario, let's assume that it's VFR and one of your two engines fails immediately after liftoff. Your mind immediately goes to mixture props, throttles, gear up, flaps up, identify, verify, feather, all while looking outside to maintaining aircraft control and setting a pitch attitude with reference to the horizon for VYSE. Here's the thing. That's not what we're talking about in this episode. We are talking about the what now of the scenario after initial actions. What did you plan to do now that you are 50 or 100 feet off the ground with the engine failed? So a few things to consider. It is VFR. This works in your favor and is more go oriented if you have a single engine climb rate safe enough to climb to the traffic pattern altitude. More on this in a moment. The question is, should you go? Should you continue the takeoff? Of course, that depends on runway remaining. How do you know that you can land from 50 or 100 feet above the runway and remain on the runway left in front of you? Good question. There's a myriad of techniques that abound about how to decide this. I base mine off some pre-flight flight planning math. When we accomplish performance planning, we calculate takeoff distance over a 50-foot obstacle, landing distance over a 50-foot obstacle, accelerate go, accelerate stop, and single engine rate of climb. If we add our takeoff and landing distances over a 50-foot obstacle together, we have the distance required to take off, climb to 50 feet, have an engine failure, and land straight ahead. If that distance is 3,500 feet and we are taking off from a 3,500-foot runway, we now know that if an engine fails anywhere below 50 feet AGL, we have the option to bring the power to idle, pitch the nose forward, dump the gear and flaps, and land straight ahead. Problem solved eliminating the challenges of all the single engine flying potentially ahead of us. Now let's assume our runway is 7,000 feet long. Dividing 7,000 by 3,500 gives a factor of two. Now we know we can land straight ahead from an altitude of 100 feet AGO. So just because you are airborne does not mean you're committed to continuing the takeoff. Let's go back to my opening statement about VFR being go oriented if you have a single engine climb rate that safely gets you to traffic pattern altitude. For this discussion, we will use 100 feet per minute single engine climb rate. The standard traffic pattern altitude is 1000 AGL. 
So easy peasy, right? Well, no, kind of wrong. Most new pilots to multi-engine operations have not played out this scenario completely. Simulators and or discussions are required to really appreciate a 100 foot per minute climb rate. Here's the first thing. It is going to take you 10 minutes to climb to 1,000 feet. And your climb rate is only applicable straight and level while executing proper side slip to control the aircraft. Let me say that again. It's going to take you 10 minutes to climb to 1,000 feet above ground level and your climb rate is only applicable straight and level while executing proper side slip to control the aircraft. If we are traveling at 90 knots ground speed, we are going to cover 15 nautical miles straight ahead before reaching traffic pattern altitude. 90 divided by 60 gives you 1.5 nautical miles per minute times 10 minutes gives you 15 nautical miles. Even if you climb safely to 500 feet AGL straight ahead, that is still seven and a half miles that you have to fly straight ahead. I hope that you are tracking where we're going with this. The question must be asked. The question we must ask is, what is straight off the end of the runway between me and 1,000 feet AGL? In the flatlands of West Tennessee, most likely nothing is in front of you except maybe a departure alternate also known as an airport option to land at other than the one you took off from. If we look at KNQA, Millington, Tennessee, you'll see an airport just five nautical miles to the south called Baker 2 Mike 8, and to the north, Covington Airport, Mike 04, about 15 nautical miles. So in this case, a, tra a full traffic pattern may not be necessary to land the airplane. It's just a modified land straight ahead at the departure alternate. If I'm taking off to the north and I lose a motor, I'll continue to climb straight ahead until I'm on a glide path for Covington Airport, and then I'll land straight ahead on the north runway at Covington Airport. If I'm taking off to the south, I'll climb straight ahead until I'm on a glide path and on center line for Baker Airport, and then I'll land at Baker Airport, single engine. Now we'll look at Deer Valley, KDVT in Arizona. Taking off to the east places you straight into rising terrain that you will not outclimb at 100 feet per minute. Here you'll have to turn to the southeast or south. Flying into Scottsdale is out of the question because the runway does not parallel your flight path. So a shallow 180 may put you on the opposite direction final for Sky Harbor International, KPHX. Departing to the west, a slight turn to the southwest places you right on final approach to Luke Air Force Base, Glendale, or Goodyear, and it avoids rising terrain to the northwest. This brings up another great point I learned along the way in my career. Tune up a potential ILS frequency or program a possible RNAV approach that you may have to switch to in an emergency after takeoff. When things go bad, the less things you have to fight with back to the runway, the better. Now that we have taken into account engine failure scenarios during VFR conditions, how do they change during IFR or IMC conditions? Well, that answer lies with the conditions given at the time of departure. Do you have circling minimums or ILS minimums? If you have circling minimums, does the ceiling and visibility allow you to climb straight ahead to category D or E minimums, or does it only allow you to climb to category A or B minimums? You can always move to a higher circling category, but never to a lower one, as long as you have the weather to support it. Here's a scenario that I believe is realistic. You're departing on an IFR day with the weather just above circling minimums. You rotate, climb, suck up the gear and flaps, and then you lose your electronics, whether it's your PFD, your MFD, maybe both, maybe it's a failure of your radio, 
or a momentary flicker of everything in the cockpit that is concerning enough that you want to land the airplane as soon as possible. Well, you're beyond landing straight ahead in the remaining runway, but you could certainly climb up to circling minimums and circle back to the runway that you just took off and avoid flying into the weather with a potentially catastrophic situation. What if you have ILS minimums with the situation just mentioned? Well, you certainly cannot circle back around. You are beyond stopping on the given runway with the data you calculated prior to departure. So what can you do? Now we get into some techniques not covered by the textbooks for consideration and thought. By no means am I demanding or telling you to do this. It is truly for discussion. First, I would most likely not blast off into 200 and a half with a light to an engine aircraft, so maybe delay until you get circling minerals. Well, your boss wants to leave now and it's legal to do so, so what are your outs? Well, you may have to commit ahead of time to landing straight ahead with the gear and flaps and prepare to go off the end of the runway. Maybe you'll consider landing straight ahead with no gear and just flaps limiting the ground roll, or I guess, ground slide. Understand that you may not clear obstacles if you continue into the weather on an ODP with only one engine operating. Did you plan an alternate route for this potential scenario? I would certainly plan a route to follow other than that on the ODP or SID assigned that I have pre-planned to avoid obstacles with a single engine operating on a two-engine airplane. Again, the use of departure alternates may come into play here. So there you have it for this 2020 Thanksgiving. Be thankful that you most likely will never experience any of the above-mentioned scenarios in real life. Thankfully, through training and repetition, if it does happen to you, you now have a few more loose ends tied up about what to do after the initial actions. Think through them during your pre-flight planning as you wait for the weather to clear. Again, I'm Pete Redden, and that's another episode of The Way I Taught It. Thank you for finding this podcast worthy of inclusion in your study of aviation. Until next time, fly safe, fly smart. That's The Way I Taught It.